What is going on, comic fam? It's your boy, the Bearded Comic Bro, and I am joined by comic creator Nate Powell. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we got to meet uh, up at Columbus Crossroads, uh, Cartoon Crossroads in Columbus in September, October, and went to your booth. I was familiar with yourself with March and, you know, Ron. But then I was looking at some of your stuff and I got, well, da, 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 save it for later. And after reading this and knowing your other stuff, I'm like, I became a huge fan of your work. So. <laughs> I appreciate it. And, and thanks for taking a chance on uh, a lot of the different kind of avenues my work takes. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about all these, you know, like I said, you've written a lot of books, you know, Eisner nominated, Eisner won books and awards out the wazoo. But how did you get into comics and cartooning and things like this? Was this something that you always gravitated towards as a as a kid, or is this was it later on life? Uh, yes, in in short, it was always there, just mm. slowly, like pieces falling into place. So I was born in the late seventies, and I got into comics as a three year old in like nineteen eighty one because the Hulk, Spider Man, and Wonder Woman were all on TV at the same time. That was my in, and I started reading comics at the same time. Uh, the oldest comic, like the as far as I know, the first comic I ever got was Incredible Hulk 271, the, which happens to be the first appearance of Rocket Raccoon. Um, so I was a little surprised in my 30s or whatever to be like, oh, Rocket Raccoon is like <laughs> making waves in pop culture. How strange. Right. Um, and so around that time, as a three, four-year-old, I also just got really into drawing. However... I never put two and two together that I should try drawing comics until I was like, it was like the end of sixth grade. And uh, my best friend, Mike had been drawing comics for a couple of years already and had been working on stuff at his house. And basically it was one of those moments where it, we were reading comics together. Um, and it was like a simultaneous exposure to thrash metal and X-Men, like all on the same day, anthrax X-Men and Mike actually uttering the words, we should make comics together. And I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? And like, that really was one of those moments where my my path was cleared for me in life. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Yes. So you started to have these, you know, influences. You're always doing this. You're like, hey, I'm going to do this. So once you kind of figured out that was your path that you wanted to create, you know, where did we, you know, what were kind of your steps to get to, obviously, where you're at now but like what were some of those early steps to get your foot in the door of creating you bet uh okay so basically during seventh and eighth grade you know we were we were like lifelong you know x-men lovers you know and like uh so all of our work at the time like we 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 penciled and wrote probably 200 pages of uh a superhero book that as seventh graders, we didn't realize that like maybe having Magneto and Sunfire as characters in the book wasn't the best idea for being able to do something with it. Um, but thankfully his his uncle was like, hey, you guys, if you have any other ideas that don't have copyrighted characters, you need your own and you can, you can actually publish copies of the book. And we're like, oh, we can. So we had some, we had another older project that was on the back burner. And we're like, let's just put all of our eggs in this basket. Um, and so we worked really hard over about the next eight or nine months. And then, uh, yeah, in September of 92, we self-published 
the first issue of DOA, which was like a dystopian guns and boobs, anti-authoritarian superhero comic. Uh, and, uh, you know, like that sort of crosses over with uh, mm. falling into the punk subculture and sort of creative community as an eighth grader, ninth grader. So while we're making these, you know, dystopian superhero comics, um, at the same time, we are getting into starting bands and we see people our age and a little bit older in our town printing copies of their own zines, sometimes their own comics, um, as well as tapes and records. And so that was sort of like a proof of concept, uh, although then those streams didn't really cross for a couple of years. It took until we got less interested in superhero comics uh, to realize like... Uh, or to speak for myself, to realize like, oh, these things I'm writing about in zines that are a little more personal or they're more locally uh, minded or they have more to do with music uh, and less to do with superpowers. I was like, I can make comics about that too. And it doesn't have to be a separate thing. So uh, like in pre-internet Arkansas, I really didn't have much awareness of comic books that weren't superhero involved. Uh, so that was another slow crawl. And over the next couple of years through the mid nineties, then getting exposed to a lot of stuff as a, you know, upper high schooler. Um, and really it, it was just sort of like as the DIY ethic of punk made me aware of certain ways of expression and publication being valid. Uh, so also grew my awareness that comics could be used to tell all different kinds of stories and communicate in all different kinds of ways. Yeah. And, and you do your, your stories range across of, you know, personal stuff, you know, real life political stuff, you know, every, all across the landscape. And so for you, how much do you, how much does life tap into, you know, your stories that you tell of your experiences and things like that? Uh, in general, I'd say like, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, uh, there is a strong thread of personal connection that goes into everything. And I mean, a lot of this is like really to to take that to the, I mean, I, I've done exactly one kind of memoir autobiographical book, which is Save It For Later. Mm. But taking that out of the equation, uh, even going to, you know, well-known nonfiction work I've done like the March trilogy, one reason why uh, Chris Staros at Top Shelf recommended me for the job and one reason why John Lewis and Andrew and I connected so immediately was uh, being a, a lifelong Southerner who had this sort of intergenerational baseline awareness of not only of civil rights movement history, but a growing awareness of how I had been miseducated mm. uh, by the baby boomer generation uh, on that history. But also that kind of folds into my social and political concerns largely through punk but also through X-Men, <laughs> you know, like all of this is intertwined. And every time I'd be like, oh, this is the next door to step through. It, it was almost like I, I felt like, you know, a confirmation that so many of the interests that had led me to certain kinds of, you know, superhero storylines, certain kinds of personal expression in bands or zines, all of it was still kind of going back into a new shape by doing yeah by doing March and being able to like bring out a personal side of this history or 
making weird kind of magical realist fiction, but being able to inject a bit of my personal experience and point of view into, you know, this fictionalized landscape. Yeah. And, and it's done so well. Do you, do you as a, as an artist and a writer, but I guess more on the art side, is there someone that kind of inspired or a style that inspired, you know, your art form? Where did this kind of, how did you discover how you wanted to, you know, create? Yeah, uh, well, still to this day, I think when I'm like in my happy place at the drawing table, making work, no matter what, no matter what book that is, uh, there's always like a little bit in the back of my head that is always aspiring to be some combination of Arthur Adams, Michael Golden, and Bill Sienkiewicz. That's sort of like the original trifecta that showed me the path of like, this is how I want to express myself. And this is what I value about line and touch and flowing through the page. Um, so those are my main three that I kind of harken back to. Uh, I'd say the, the artists who really sort of blew my concept of limitation out of the water as a older teenager, young adult, um, and helped me kind of break away from some of the like, big two superhero limitations of storytelling would be like Chester Brown's I Never Liked You. That was a fundamental book for me in terms of showing me a new way of doing things. Also, uh, the wordless graphic novel Flood by Eric Drucker okay. that came out in 1992, uh, done with ink, but a lot of it feels like scratchboard and woodcut. Uh, that was incredibly instrumental in showing me a different path. I'm, I'm looking off camera here. <laughs> I'd say those are the top two yeah. that really my breakaway uh, examples of like how wide open approaches to style and storytelling could be. Yeah, because you do, um, you know, in, in your work, like obviously March and Ron, like those those books were very more, had to be not as fantasy aspects, elements and stuff because of the story that was being told. But even and even probably a little bit will save it for later. But some of your other stuff, you're starting to see this kind of more fantastical, fanta fantastical, yeah, fantastical, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it it just is really cool to see that. And of like, like you said, that borders have been broken, kind of seeing where the art can inspire you uh, to not maybe do what is like, oh, I have to do it this certain way. You bet. And at the same time, uh, one reason why that does why that does work is because I'm also a big fan of limitations, like understanding yeah. where your parameters are, where your limitations are. Um, and I think like to paraphrase or butcher someone else's quote that limitations determine style. Um, but for example, like uh, I, I have a lot of free form, very kind of like musical rhythms with my solo fiction, like going from page to page, mm -hmm. it operates with a very different kind of pace and cadence that's very musical, but around 2012, when I devoted, you know, five years of my life to drawing the March trilogy, uh, basically honing an entirely different set of storytelling skills mm. that focused on concreteness and clarity. And uh, not only like while I was doing that, did that allow me to kind of nail concrete storytelling uh, requirements within that story but because there were such strict limitations into us together being able to execute that narrative uh effectively 
it gave me sort of like an enhanced awareness of where any kind of weirdness might be able to shine in the storytelling in March. Uh, not only like subjective personal stuff coming from within John Lewis's perspective, but you know, these moments of emotional weight, these moments of spiritual significance that can't really be described in lines of script, but it's what's in between the lines of the script. So like when I finished March, I was able to go back and my weird stuff got weirder uh, because I feel like it was kind of, it was anchored by that concrete, you know, clarity in storytelling that I learned during March. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So uh, one of the things I reached out to you for, because um, I wanted to talk to you, because like I said, I read your, your stuff. And I've been a big fan, but uh, you have a new book coming out at the time of this recording. Let's talk about it. Tell me all about this book. You bet. Okay. So yeah, this new book is called Fall Through. Uh, yeah, it's coming out February 6th from Abrams. And uh, in a nutshell, it's like an interdimensional 1990s Southern punk soap opera, for lack of a better word. I mean, it's really, it's a relationship story, but it's about like, not only like the interpersonal relationships within this band that's stuck through some bootleg magical curse into being on tour forever. Um, but it's not just the, the interpersonal relationships within the band, but it's also a lot of it is about the social bonds of creative movements, like, and, and connections made between people who are interested in different creative subcultures. Um, and uh, so like there, it's very feelings heavy. Uh, it's also very much based in a world of 30 years ago. So what's interesting is like, it, you know, it's, it's definitely very grounded in this highly specific moment in underground hardcore punk, but really it's, much more about the kinds of contradictions and complexities and the kinds of, you know, personal dynamic, interpersonal dynamics that go into any kind of creatively based community. Yeah. How long have you been working on this book? Uh, Cause I feel like it's gotta be, it's, these are processes. There is not single issues comics that are being told. Like sure. it's in depth a lot more. I'm not saying that those aren't in depth, but you know, the length of them. Oh, you're right. It's a completely different way to structure your time and structure yep. thinking about how to actually produce these stories. Um, in general, like a graphic novel will take me two and a half or three years from start to finish to do, but really like only about the last year of that is actively like inking, lettering, coloring, uh, and correcting things at the table. Like still 75% of my time is spent while I'm inking some other book or whatever, mm -hmm. I'm writing and penciling uh, the next thing. So uh, what's funny is yeah, the roots of fall through come from uh, a fictional, basically I made up a fictional first Arkansan punk band this band Diamond Mine, 10 years ago in my sketchbook uh, as an homage to some other friends of mine. But they wound up coming out in this uh, 2018 book of mine, Come Again. And basically, they, they kind of Boba Fetted this book. It's They're only in a 10-page chapter. Their appearance has no relevance to the rest of the story, like within Come Again. But as soon as they were done, I was like, that was so fun. And I was like, I can't believe I have to say goodbye to these characters. And so... Uh, slowly over the next couple of years, I was like, I've got an idea to like blend all these reflections on my life playing and touring in bands and being a part of punk and everything. Uh, the story for Fall Through kind of emerged. 
And basically I spent the entire, the entirety of the pandemic uh, doing fall through and doing the nonfiction uh, parallel book, Lies My Teacher Told Me. Uh, so it's been a very intense process. Yeah. And you, you are always working because again, like uh, Save It For Later had to come out right after the pandemic or kind of during um oh yeah the right at the peak of the pandemic yeah i actually thought i had finished that book in january 2020 and i thought i'd like I was, I was like that's it i said everything i needed to say i made sure it was like bulletproof enough to survive like whatever the electoral outcome would be in yep. fall of 2020 uh but i was like it was like january 25th 2020 and i was like well here's the book for you guys to to work on edits and stuff. And then, yeah, like the world shut down. And by the summertime, there's a, there's one chapter in that book called Tornado Children mm. that was, that sort of like, it had to be used to sum up all of 2020 up to that point, including uh, kind of reckoning with the loss of John Lewis on mm. a personal level and also its context with the nation as a whole. But I had to finish that book and it was sent to the printer before election day 2020 so it was like as far as i know it's the yeah. first book ever published after the trump regime that directly addresses and reflects on that administration yeah uh, after the fact yet i had to kind of write and draw those parts looking into the future so that it would survive either electoral outcome it was a yeah. real crazy position to be in <laughs> Not one you probably want to have to put yourself in of those often when you're creating. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, it was it was wacky. That's oh man. So you know you you obviously when you work on a book you do art uh, for yourself and for other books and things. Uh, do you gravitate more towards like when is the story you kind of have crafted in your mind and are writing and doing the art more than doing other art? for like a story that's already been determined or do you like, I like both cause they're different wheelhouses. Mostly the latter. Yeah. The fact that yeah. they, they activate totally different parts of my brain. Um, however, like doing my solo magical realist fiction, that's my home planet. And so like there are times where like, particularly like during the pandemic fall through was my happy place. And I was thankful every day that it was time to work on fall through and not something else. Uh, same for doing come again for the entire year of 2017 um, where like I was trying to show up in the streets, trying to be a part of my community, uh, trying to like stand, stand up and speak up touring with March and stuff. But I had come again to be able to like go into my cave and do my thing. There are those those moments where like now I've sort of like there's such a strong part of my brain that really values doing more structured nonfiction work with writers. Um, like Lies My Teacher Told Me is a little bit different because I started with James Lewin. Um, however, it was a, it's a full comics adaptation of mine of his previously published work okay and, yeah and and also he passed away about a year and a half into our agreement to do it so like we put a lot of time in to make sure we were on the same page and that i was executing his vision um and at the same time you know i found myself in another one of those positions where i'm like i need to take this across the finish line right. for my collaborator who is no longer here right. um so yeah it's a completely different sort of set of considerations and a different 
kind of meaning and value that comes from the process of creation. As a as a writer, we've talked a lot more art so far. As a writer for you, you know, do you have when you have an idea, is it something that like you instantly write down? Is it something that you just let marinate for a little bit? What's like when what's that process for you as a writer? What has worked so well for me for my entire adult life is just being a sketchbook dude. And basically like I used to do this much more because I was like very much like a 1990s punk journal writing zine making youth. Um, but and so like I don't really write in a journal aspect in my sketchbooks anymore, but the habit has really maintained itself. So in general, yeah, like it might take seven or eight years for an idea or for a little scene to kind of germinate and grow into a book. So yes, I, I try to like make a habit so that when I get an idea for a scene for a little vignette or moment that I write it down and every couple of months, I'll try to like go back through the pages of my sketchbook and get all of those little notes and just make a list of like, oh, here's what I have. And then by looking at them, starting to see if there's something that connects them all together. Uh, and sometimes, yeah, that can happen like, and it could take, yeah, several years to realize that there's actually a, a definite direction that, that's happening. Uh, right now I'm, I'm penciling this book, Diana, which is the, it's the follow-up prequel to Fall Through. And what, when I finished Fall Through, um, I was really bummed out for several months because there was no, there was no no additional story. That was the end. And I was like, oh, I'll never get to draw those characters again. And like six months later, I came up with one scene in my head where I was like, oh, I was like, I should have put that in the book. But I was like, maybe I'll just draw it as like a little 10 page story for me. And maybe I'll just put it online or you know, make a mini comic out of it. And I tried for a couple more months to be like, I wonder if I can come up with any more scenes and flesh something else out of this. And it looked like it just wasn't happening. I'm like, oh, but then it's like, it's weird spent like having just a totally different sense of time flowing when you're doing long form work. Yeah. So I just needed to wait a couple more months. And then all of a sudden things just started clicking everywhere. And then I found myself every day last summer, just like eating jalapeno chips in the backyard and just furiously writing this new book that just basically like jumped in my lap when I thought there was nothing there. So there, there are always times for surprises. Hey, you had me at comics and now you have me at jalapeno chips too. Come oh, on, yeah. you my people. Do, do you have, um, you know, like this fall through seems very heavy on the musical side. Is that something that like when you are writing or drawing, you listen to music or are you like, no, I can't, I can't function that way. I have to be quiet. Like I do. I listen to music constantly when I'm drawing. Um, and I'm actually not even sure if I'm writing uh, because writing happens at weird times, but yeah, I, I do constantly listen to music when I'm, when I'm working uh, for something that is rooted in kind of a specific musical moment, like, like doing fall through uh, there were times where like for an entire week, while I was drawing, there would be like, I would find myself like only listening to like 80, 1985 to 95, you know, second and third wave, uh, you know, emo hardcore or whatever. Or there would be times where like for 
an entire week straight, I would just listen to one ambient electronic album on repeat for five or six days straight. Um, like one of my go-tos is by this band, by this guy, this person, uh, OK Okumi, and there's an album called Alpine Sequences. I can listen to that album indefinitely. Uh, and it just keeps me drawing, keeps mm. me writing, and it basically keeps me in a flow state. Yeah. So yeah, actually, I tend to lean much heavier on ambient electronic music. Oh wow, that's now I'm like I've, I've you've seen me have my pen. I've been taking notes. Oh, yeah. I'm, like, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like all right. I need to read blood. I need to listen to this. <laughs> I need to go to the store and pick up some jalapeno jams. Got that right. Yeah. <laughs> Is. Is it hard for you as a creator, you know, especially when you, with the books that you're doing that are, you're investing so much time into it and so that like there's such a length of time from when you're done with it, like you're already working on a prequel for this one that hasn't come out, like to wait for reception, to wait for response of like what people's thoughts are and stuff like, how is that for you as a creator? It's weird. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it is interesting now that like for the last you know, five years or so, I've worked with a publisher, Abrams, you know, who's part of the larger book trade uh, in publishing, and they operate under just slightly different rules. But in years past, like in the March era and before, I could finish a book and it would be sent off to the printer, you know, three months before it would come out. And so it was still very fresh. It was still the primary thing on my mind. And it was satisfying in a very different way to be able to pretty soon get feedback over what I had just completed. But yeah, like I finished drawing fall through a year and a half ago, almost. Um, and that actually wound up having an unexpected benefit because I sort of went past the wall of mm. being like, oh, well, it's not fresh in my mind, but then having room personally for like a second and third set of insight and reflection on what I did and kind of let go of it yeah. to be able to like, so it was less precious to me and I was able to kind of let it back out to the world. Um, however, it's strange because now I'm so deep into this prequel book, Diana, which it looks like it's gonna be like 280 pages. Uh, and it's so vast and so just like, the feelings are so raw in there that I'm actually like, as fall through is about to be released, I'm having to remember to like, oh, right. That's not even in this book yet. There's this whole ocean of other stuff that shaped these characters and brought them to this moment that only that literally only I know about. Like I haven't even told my wife about some of the, the like stuff that's like popped into my head. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a it's a weird thing, but it also helps keep that sort of like fluid sense of vitality with the characters. Yeah, uh, where I'm like, okay, uh, and sort of like the joy of doing a prequel is you know where the story is going to go. And it's just a matter of being like, oh, where's a moment to kind of enrich this or plant a seed that pays off later in a book that people are about to read. Yeah. Um, it, it's been really fun. Like I've never, I've never thought about a story in that way that like there, there are signposts on the road that people can see now, they, but they not, may not interpret them as a signpost yet. Uh, it's been super fun. That's so neat. Where can, so as we're, you know, I want to respect your time. Where can people get fall through and you know check it out and experience this uh you bet i mean so it, it should be available pretty much everywhere in the physical world you mm -hmm. know and online uh on february 6th my website is uh basically nate-powell.com 
it will redirect you to seemybrotherdance.org, but that's legit. I just, you know, I'm technologically stunted, so I haven't figured out how to like completely replace the URL redirect. Anyway, so yeah, I, I'm also like, I'm sending out signed mail orders as people order them now, which has been super fun that there's like, you know, like a hundred people out there who have already read the book. Uh, and it's kind of nice to get that early wave of feedback and stuff. Yep. Um, so yeah, nate-powell.com. That's my jam. Nice. And, you know, is there, obviously we've talked about fall through, uh, you mentioned uh, your other book, the, the lies that you've been working on. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else? that you know that you have out right now that you want people to check out or is it really right now fall through and then you know yeah the, yeah these days uh i it's it's been wild yeah because i'm about to have yeah, two full-length books released in the span of two months uh so it's yeah like i haven't released anything in three years and it's nice that that's about to be over yeah um, and uh so yeah there i mean there's plenty to talk about as as spring moves into both of these new books but yeah like lies my teacher told me will be out april 16th from the new press as well very cool that'll probably be banned on day one in multiple states so So. prepare prepare yourself for for the immediate backlash to undiscussed parts of american history naturally because because it'll be banned before people can even read it and they'll people will be up in arms before Indeed. they even <laughs> checked it out that's because that's that's how it's gone corrupting the youth yeah so well where can people follow along with you of what you're working on what you're you know when books oh, yeah. are coming out and so that way obviously your website um is social my, media. my main my main presence uh on social media is on instagram so my handle is see my brother dance and there i am and i yeah in general besides like regular hyping books or whatever, I will be going on tour in the physical world in these little stints. So uh, yeah, I'm going to do in a Mid-South loop in February. I'll be hitting a lot of our our Midwestern region, yep. uh, especially in April and May. Uh, and then I'm definitely going to in Columbus space and CXC. I'll go to SPX in the DC area, hopefully go to Cake in Chicago, kind of waiting on that one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll be out there and uh just doing my thing nice well i'm excited uh to pick this up myself and you know so next time i see you at one of the conventions here in columbus <laughs> we can talk more about you bet i look forward to it so well nate thank you so much for taking some time out of your schedule to just talk about comics with me um i am i'm grateful for it and um with that being said gang hopefully you can find some time to curl up grab a book and nerd out you got that what, what's life without being able to nerd out for a while that's right